So the past, well, really the past few weeks of summer, we have been um, in a series that was called That Guy. And so this was when we were looking at times where Jesus did things that might make people go, why is he being that guy, right? So there were maybe some idiosyncrasies or things that we didn't completely understand. And, and so people would look kind of sideways at him. And one of the things Jeff introduced last week that, that Jesus was known for was answering questions and doing his teaching in stories. And sometimes that would make people go, what is with that guy? All he does is talk in stories, right? And sometimes these stories would be answers to questions and people were like, wait, I don't know what you mean. And often that was because it encouraged people to press in to dig deeper, to get to know Jesus better. But I have to admit, it reminds me a little bit of when I was younger. Now, if you are um, under 30, this is going to be foreign to you. Um, but for those of you who grew up like I did, then what happened when I would be doing homework or writing, you know, a paper, and I'd say, hey, mom, dad, how do you spell? And they'd say, go look it up which of course meant finding the dictionary in some other room and pulling it out and then going, but I don't know how to spell it. And they'd say, well, what does it start with? And so I'd flip open to the page in the dictionary and try and get as close as I could, find the word and then write it down on the paper. And this would go on and on and on because I was not a good speller. And the reality was, I am sure their intention was that this activity was going to help me learn to spell better. It didn't. I still can't spell. And yet I subjected my children to the exact same torture. So it clearly had some impact on me. Now my kids just had to pick up a phone and type it in and it would automatically pop up corrected for them. So really, they had it easy. But I would ask what I thought was a simple question, and I would get an obscure answer. And I am sure that oftentimes people felt that way when they were listening to Jesus. So whether it was meant to have people press in and learn deeper, or whether it was an allegory, a story that represented something else, either way, Jesus' parables related to the people he was speaking to, to their reality, their life, so that regardless of their vocation, regardless of their level of education, they could understand what he was talking about. So in these three parables that we just heard read, Jesus talked about very relatable things. He talked about sheep, money, and family. Now, we can probably relate to most of those as well, maybe not the sheep so much, but we do know what it feels like to lose something. And so this was a way that people could understand what he was talking about. And these three parables together, we call them the lost parables, and it's important to understand the context in which they were presented. So Jesus was teaching, as he often did, and a crowd had gathered, as it often did, whenever he would speak. 
And so as he's teaching, he's becoming aware of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. And those religious leaders of the time are starting to grumble. Do you know how when you walk in a room and you just know, oh my gosh, I think they're talking about me. Is that just me? No? Well, it was Jesus and me. So he knew, he knew those Pharisees are grumbling, they're talking, they're saying stuff. And they were, they were saying to each other, look at this guy. Look at him, he thinks he's a religious teacher. He's having dinner with tax collectors and sinners for crying out loud. How could he be a religious teacher? They looked upon that crowd with disdain. They were as judgy as it could get. And Jesus, love this, love his response. He doesn't haul off and lecture them. He doesn't yell at them. No. As a parent, I need to take notice of this. Instead, he invites them into a story. He invites them to be a part of the story he is teaching to everyone there. He says a parable about sheep. Surely they could understand that if one sheep wanders off, you have to go after it. It would be common sense. You need to find what is lost. And just in case you didn't get his actual meaning, he closes that story out by reminding them I know exactly what's going on in heaven. And I tell you that in the same way there will be rejoice, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Heaven celebrates. The angels rejoice. God throws a party. I love that because lost are important to God. He is making a very clear statement about where God's heart lies. And it is with the lost. And this is something we don't want to miss because it's not like he says it once. He says it again and again and again. It is throughout the Gospels that Jesus is pursuing the lost, that the lost are his priority. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, that through him they might be saved. It's what he was all about. God loved us enough to die for us while we were yet sinners, before we even believed in him or knew him, while we were still wandering around, living our lives like that lost sheep. And the reality is, it's important to look at that word lost, because when you take it down to its original meaning, it's not talking about something that's misplaced. No, this word literally translates to destroyed or perishing. And that's important to note because we can understand God's passion for the lost a little bit more when we understand what it means to be truly lost. We can understand why he was willing to pay the ultimate price 
death on a cross, torture. Because we understand the consequence. In fact, 2 Peter gives us another glimpse of this. He is reminding his contemporaries of pretty much the same thing. And he says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. I love that word, scoffers. Love it. Scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Remember Great Flood, Noah's Ark? By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves the lost. So much so that Jesus left heaven to walk on earth and died so that we could be forgiven and saved. He is patiently waiting, patiently searching and seeking out the lost. He does not want anyone to perish, but instead wants everyone to choose to be in relationship with him. This slow, patient searching is demonstrated in the next story of the woman. He describes the woman with 10 silver coins and she loses one. She immediately lights a lamp and uses oil, a precious resource, to search the house, sweeps everything out, turns everything upside down, searches until she finally finds where that one coin had rolled. And when she finds it, she rejoices and calls her friends and family together and says, look, my coin is found. Now, my guess is she didn't walk out and call them together and say, hey, guess what? I lost my coin and now I found it. She most likely let them know, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe it. I lost my coin. And I say this from personal experience. Probably two or three years ago, I had been working an event here at Hope, and I had taken out the garbage and finished vacuuming up and went home and got out my laptop and sat down at my kitchen table to do some work and started typing and looked down and realized that my diamond was gone. I was a mess. 
I immediately call over to Hope and grab the people that are still there and say, please, I know it's ridiculous, but would you please just walk through and look around and see if you can please find, you know, where my diamond might have fell out. These are the rooms I was in. And, and of course, everybody jumped and started doing that immediately. I'm, I am going through the whole house, my car, everywhere I can think of. I am down on my hands and knees in the kitchen floor, hoping it bounced and rolled as my family walks in. And I'm talking, I am sobbing, snot, it's ugly. And they walk in and they're like, what just happened? And so from my hands and knees, I'm like, I lost my diamond. And of course, my husband immediately jumps and starts helping me search. And the children pretty much ran upstairs and hid because they just did not know what to do with mama like that. That was too much. And I had just about come to the conclusion that I was going to need to drive back over to the church, pull the bags out of the dumpster, turn the, um, you know, the vacuum cleaner bags upside down and start going through all of that. So I said, let me go change my clothes so that I can be wearing something I don't mind getting all yucky and dirty. And so I went upstairs and as I'm changing my clothes, lo and behold, my diamond falls out. I was overjoyed. I immediately called all my friends and family and said, I found my diamond. And they rejoiced with me. Now, the moment I asked, they jumped. They started searching. And the reality is, there was nothing in it for them. I mean, aside from maybe me being a little bit better mood. There was no win. They were getting dirty. They were on their hands and knees simply because it mattered to me. And because it was important to me, it was important to them. When things are important to God, they should be important to us as well. And because the lost are important to God, they should be important to us as well. A few, Rick's ago, a few weeks ago, Rick said um, from the platform, and then he said he was going to run back to Mount Laurel afterwards. He said that there are lots of great things here about hope, but the reason you should be here is Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And that is true. The fantastic children's programs, the multitude of small groups, the opportunities for service, these are all great things if and when they are pointing us to a greater relationship with Jesus. That is what it is all about. And if that is why we're here, if Jesus is the reason, then what matters to him needs to matter to us too. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus called his disciples together and he gave them what we call the great commandment. And he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Go find the lost. He said it to them and he says it to us. But who 
are the lost? What image do you have in your head when we say that? My husband and I were talking about it this week, and each of us had very different images that it conjured up. You know, for him, he immediately thought of someone perhaps homeless, someone without a place to rest their head, wandering aimlessly. Each of us has a little box that we call lost. But the reality is, we don't have to go very far to find someone who's lost. They look just like you and me. We are living in a broken, hurting world, full of people who are desperately searching, desperately searching for something to fill that hole in them. Desperately searching for something to make them feel what they think they should be feeling. They turn to their jobs, to money, to sex, to food, to status. But none of it fills that hole. They are constantly searching. Which brings us right to the third parable, right? Sounds like the sun. We read this and we see how the younger son searches. He takes his inheritance, he goes off, he squanders it on women, he squanders it on everything imaginable in the world. And when he comes to the end of himself, he realizes he is lost. And he heads back home. And of course his father, his father has been searching, keeping his eyes out for his son. And when he arrives home, he throws a party. He hikes up his robes and he runs to meet his son. Something that would not have necessarily been of etiquette back then, but shows the passion he had for his lost son. But that younger son wasn't the only lost person in this story. We're gonna pick up right where the reading left off and we're gonna hear about the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry and refused to go inside. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
that older brother was right where he was supposed to be. He was following all the rules, coloring within the lines. And yet, somehow, he got lost. He didn't know his father's heart. Sometimes we can be right where we're supposed to be, but for the wrong reasons. And we wind up lost. Sometimes we can be right where we're supposed to be and we start out with the best reasons. Somewhere along the way we get distracted. It's like the parable Jeff talked about last week with the sower and the seeds. How sometimes the seed gets thrown and the seed starts to grow, but then the weeds come and choke it out. They distract it. Somewhere along the road, the older brother got distracted. And maybe he was bitter after having watched his father scan the horizon for his missing brother year after year. Maybe he was angry because he was there picking up the extra load his brother left when he disappeared. We don't know why, but we do know he got lost. My, um, my aunt passed away a few years ago. She was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's um, at a very young age. And so before we even knew that, however, we were starting to see symptoms um, that were giving us cause to be, to be concerned. And um, she was in her you know, early to mid 50s and I can remember one night in particular, we had been at a show, my dad was in a show and it was intermission and my phone is buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and I look down and it's Patty and um, I answer it and I can tell very quickly this is not gonna be a quick conversation. And so I step outside and, um, and she's like, Heather, I, I, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. So I well, where were you coming from? So I, was, I was in Pittman. She grew up in Pittman. She worked in Pittman. She performed in Pittman. She was headed home. At that point in time, it was Haddonfield, where she'd lived for years and years. This was a trip she did all the time. So I said, it's okay. Look around. What do you see? So well, I, I, see, I see the diner. Okay, you're on Delcy Drive. We can do this. We can get home. And so I stayed on the phone outside with her for a good 15 or 20 minutes as we just navigated the ride by landmarks until she could get home. And with great relief in her voice, could tell me she was safe. She was right where she was supposed to be. But she was unable to understand what was happening around her. Have you been there? I know I have. There have certainly been times in my life where I have looked at the circumstances and said, how did I get here? I don't know where I am. This isn't how it was supposed to be. 
we don't have to look very far to find the lost. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's the people that you walk out that front door and walk into, or the people you share an office with, or the teller at the grocery store. We are continually surrounded in a broken world by broken people. And we want desperately to have our Father's heart, to be passionate about the lost. So how can we fulfill that commandment? How can we go and make disciples? The first thing we need to do is make sure we're on solid ground. That's what you're doing here. We come to worship on Sundays because we want to learn about the heart of God. Because we want the community that allows us to work out our relationship with God. We join small groups, we serve, we do mission because we believe that is how we become grounded, how we grow our relationship with God. And then we need to figure out our story, our elevator, elevator pitch, if you will. What will you say if someone asks you why you believe or why you're serving? Think about how your life is different because of your relationship with Jesus. What has changed? It doesn't have to be an overwhelming story. It just needs to be yours. It just needs to be who you are. And then we look for opportunities to serve because we recognize that in serving, we become the hands and feet of Jesus. We are able to love well when we serve. And oftentimes in that service, people will ask us why we're serving, which is why it's important to know your story, to be able to say, I serve because he changed my life. and we invite. We look for opportunities to invite people to walk with us. Not because Hope is a cool place and does Coachella and has all kinds of fun things, but because those events are geared to move us towards Jesus. Because we know that when we participate in these things, we grow closer. And so we want to invite others along for the ride. We get to be that voice on the other end of the phone. We get to say, look, I see God over there. And we're gonna walk it together until we get you safely home. So, whether you're feeling lost right now, or you have someone on your heart, I wanna encourage you. 
You are not alone. Be brave like Patty. Don't be afraid to call. Say, I might need some directions because we really want to walk home with you. You just stand and pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you are passionate about the lost. Thank you, God, that you are passionate about us. And thank you, God, that you use us to help reach those who are lost. And Lord God, we all admit there are times in our lives where we look around and we don't recognize where we are. I am so grateful, Lord, that you continue to put places and people in our lives to walk beside us until we get home. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So go out today knowing that you are loved passionately, knowing that God loves the lost passionately, and that he will bring those people across your path this week. Have a great week.